Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. We're in our third week of studying the book of Genesis, and let us stand as we read our text for this morning. Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me say something I didn't say in the first service, which I should have said. Um, the word man here is the Hebrew Adam. It's the same word for the soil, the ground, all right, the dirt. And so the race of man is called man as the ground is called man. God made man from the ground. So from Adam we came to Adam we'll go, and in between we'll be called Adam. Today, everybody knows that in the past, the word man used to refer to men and women together. Today, everybody just falls all over themselves, never calling the race man. Don't ever forget, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the name of the race is man. It isn't woman, and it isn't human. It's man. And when we get into the place where we discuss the fall... You'll see why, because when the fall happens, it does not happen when Eve takes the fruit and eats it. Adam is the federal head of the race, not Eve. And so every time scripture calls the race man, it's reminding us that in Adam we fell, in Adam we die. Now we can hate that truth, but let's not be stupid. The truth is simple. And so if we're going to be biblical, we are going to sign our faith by using the language of Scripture as people in the West used to do. They used to call it man. And it's not an indignity to woman. It's not an indignity to woman. Any more that it's an indignity that woman has pain in her childbirth and that the fall is her inheritance from Adam. So if we're going to be biblical and we begin to deconstruct the word man, there is no end to scripture. That's why really honest feminists have always said the Bible is hopelessly patriarchal. And it is true. And so we either worship the God who is the eternal father from the beginning, we worship him, or we fall all over ourselves trying to make ourselves compatible with you know, Gaia worship, with Mother Earth worship, with fertility cults, with, you know, and, and there's no end to that. You'll never 
you'll never quite measure up to ideologues. That's the nature of being an ideologue. So when I say man today, unless it's clear otherwise, it always refers to men and women together, the race of man. All right. Now, let's go to verse 26. Then God said, now we're dealing here with the sixth day of creation. And the sixth day of creation is the apex. It's the very top. It's the Everest. We've had day one, two, three, four, five, and you might say, but there are seven days in a week. And I say, yes, and the seventh day he did what? He rested. And so this is the final act of creation. And what is it that is God's top act of creation? God's top act of creation is to make man. Men and women. Okay, did I do it well? When God creates man, it's the sixth day of creation, and it doesn't get better than man. Now, the first service, I spent all kinds of time making all kinds of interesting points from the text of Scripture. And then I got to the end, to the application part, and I tried very quickly to explain the significance of man being the apex, the Everest, the top of God's creation. And it was pathetic. Because if I ask you to tell me all the ways that men today, men and women, okay, we back? Okay, we okay? If I ask you to tell me all the ways today that man denies the creation account, we'd have to spend years listing them, right? My favorite is this. In Psalms, where it says that it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. And right there, we deal with the issue of atheistic evolution. It just very clearly says He made us, we didn't make ourselves. And what a beautiful description of evolution, atheistic evolution. We made ourselves. No need of any higher power, no need of a creator. We evolved. So right there, right out of the gate, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then scripture said, it is he that made us and not we ourselves. Now, when we come to this statement in Genesis 1.26, then God said... Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We're dealing with many different ways of saying that man is the crown of God's creation. Okay? Now, first of all, let's observe the fact that it's only here that we finally run into God speaking of himself in the plural. Notice here, it doesn't say God said, but rather here it says that God said, let us. It doesn't say, then God said, let me, or it doesn't say, then God said, I shall, but it says, let us. It's a plural, and if you look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for God often is Elohim, which again is a plural construct in Hebrew. Now, why the plural? You know... I have to admit to you 
that every time I meet with parents, I tell them that every parent I have known except one has made a mistake of not expecting enough out of their children. Now, I, I, I think probably if there's one failure of Asian parents, it's expecting too much out of their children. But generally, I don't know Asian parents, Mrs. Chen, and so <laughs> I'll have to ask you whether any, the, these Chinese mothers that I read about are really as, as monstrous as, as sometimes they say. But in America, we universally, it's true, we don't expect enough out of our children. All right? And one of the things that I want this church to be characterized is by not having people pander to us. I don't want this to be a church of people that like to be flattered. I don't like us to be so thin-skinned that we can't get the straight dope. You know, if they can have it on the internet... You know, Snopes, you know, can you handle it? Look it up in Snopes, you know. If, if they have it in newspapers, the straight dope, shouldn't the word of God be able to speak in, the, in, in, in a church? You know, shouldn't it? Right, right, right. Okay. Now, when you read what it says here in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in, your, in, in our image, what you'll find if you open a Jewish commentary is what? You'll find that Jews who reject Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fall over themselves saying that this is not a plural referring to divinity, to God, but rather this is referring to the host of heaven gathered around God, and he's speaking in the imperial we. So it is God surrounded by the angelic beings. And yet we know from the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that all things were made by him, referring to Jesus Christ, without him was not anything made that was made. And so here we have one clear statement of Scripture that God acts as a plurality. All right? God acts as a plurality. Now, who is the plurality? The plurality is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, eternally existent in three persons. Let us, right? It's very important that we not are so sensitive to the Holocaust, to Jews, to all this stuff, that we turn our backs on the clear statement of Scripture where God speaks saying, let us make, right? This isn't a way that God is trying to give himself more dignity by acting as if he's a plurality. He is a plurality. He is the Trinitarian God. And once we accept the scandal of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, prophesied in the Old Testament to the Jews, once we see that we're without hope except through the death of God's own beloved son, then we accept that here at the very beginning of the book of God, we see the plurality of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Now, it's interesting that it's here that we get the plurality. And that's another way that we see that man is the crown of God's creation. Because here we see the Trinity manifesting itself, but not just the Trinity. Here we also see, for the first time, God reveals a a sort of um, self-reflective sort of uh, 
communal, sharing kind of like discursive, dialogical kind of rumination. It hasn't happened before. And so if we go to the other days of creation, this is what we're going to find on those days. We're going to find that God speaks and it happens. So the first day of creation, Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light and there was light. No indirectness there, is there? Then God said, let there be light and there was light. And then in day second, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And it was so, verse 6. Third day, verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And it was so. Fourth day, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, etc. And it was so. The fifth day of creation. All right? And on the fifth day of creation, we find God saying, verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And again, it was so. So this is the pattern. Days one through five, the Bible simply records the word of God calling things into being, or better yet, saying things into being. And then the declaration immediately after that what he spoke into existence existed. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And yet now we come to something different. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see this? It's indirect. It's God speaking to himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian God, Here's an idea. Let's make man in our image and according to our likeness. And so that adds weight. We see the weight of it being the final day of creation, the ascendancy of all creation to to man. We see the weight of God himself speaking as a trinity, us, plural, man in our image, again, plural. And then we see that he discusses and takes counsel within the trinity before he does this final thing. Listen, don't make any mistake about it. Man is the apex, the crown, the top, the Everest of creation. Okay? Okay? On the sixth and final day of God's work of creation, God has his work culminated in the making of man. We do not read of man being made in the first or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth day of creation, but rather the final day, and there is man. Then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And so man is singled out because he's the final day. What everything has been leading up to, he's singled out because at this point, God manifests himself as a trinity before this work. He's singled out because as a trinity, he discusses it before he simply speaks it into being. And then he's singled out because he alone is the one who is made to bear the image of God and the likeness of God. Now, what is the image and likeness of God? Well, one of the commentators that I looked at said that generally, everybody agrees that there's a lot of argument about it, all right? 
Everybody argues about this. What is the image and likeness of God? One of the commentators says, generally, the people that argue for the image and likeness of God argue for whatever their own peculiar excellency is. So whatever a man thinks he does well, that's what he says is the image and likeness of God. So people that have big mouths say it's communication and language. People who work with their hands for a living say it's work and it's creation. People who are women and mothers say that it's the ability of giving life. And so all through history, we've had tons and tons of idols who were fertility goddesses, right? It's been the norm almost, at least in Canaan. Then you've got intellectuals. And for intellectuals, what is the image of God? Well, the image of God for an intellectual is a big brain. And then you have philosophers. And so what is the image of God with philosophers? Well, it's logic and reason, right? So what is the image of God in man? Some people say that the image of God in man is self-consciousness. Some people say it's having a conscience. Now, to be a little bit humorous here, I think that I have often seen a conscience in my dog. Because every time I walk in the house when Mary Lee hasn't been there, that dog, who is now gone, by the way, that dog would skulk. You know the word skulk? You know? You know, guilty as sin. Out of the family room, because why? Well, because that dog knows that that dog is not supposed to be on the sofa. And always that dog is on the sofa when Mary Lee and I aren't around. The minute we come in the garage, she's hopped off. The minute we walk in the door, she's coming out of the room looking guilty. So yes, dogs have consciences, right? There's no question that a dog has a conscience. And yet a dog doesn't have a conscience. A dog just has a faint recollection that sometimes we hit her. We punish her for being on the couch, right? Some linguists work with primates and talk about how you can teach certain kinds of monkeys to communicate. Some people say that you can teach animals to use tools. Some people talk about some animals being able to use tools in their natural environment without being taught. So there can be lots and lots of discussion about what is the image and likeness of God. Certainly, all Christians agree that the conscience and the awareness that we have been made for God is at the very center of the image and likeness of God. This is the reason why when you first hear Augustine's statement that He says to God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are not at rest until they rest in thee. And immediately, pagan Christian alike, honestly, says, yes, I know I was made for God. And so we have a soul. We have an immortal soul. This is the reason that Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill your body, but rather fear the one who can throw both your body and soul into hell. And so your soul exists after your body dies. What is the image and likeness of God? 
It's having a soul. It's having a knowledge of good and evil. It's having a knowledge of God. It's knowing that we were made for God. It's having self-consciousness. And we could go on and on describing the ways in which man, man and woman, okay? Y'all with me? Everybody with me? Okay, man and woman. In which man is utterly other than animal. Utterly other than animal. Right? Animal, no animal has a soul. No animal is aware of our hearts not being at rest until they rest in God. No animal has ever responded by faith to the command, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and might, and strength. Man alone has the witness of his spirit, his conscience, his soul that he was made for God. All right, so now you're all with me to some degree, but now let me say this. Do you know something? You don't have a clue what the image and likeness of God is. Why? Because you live post-fall. And that's the most important thing that you understand about the image of likeness of God. Since Adam sinned, We have had the image and likeness, the glory of God that resides in us, almost completely eviscerated, taken from us. So that we, whatever we are that is like God, has been ground up and rotted and stinky. And so, for instance, you think about the perfection of Adam and Eve in the garden. And then you compare them to yourself. Compare the relationship of Adam and Eve where Adam said, this is bone of my bone, and flesh of my, she shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. And then you wake up the day after you're married, and you think, starting right that moment of all the ways you're going to fail, that lovely woman that you love. It doesn't take longer than about eight hours in bed to realize that she is going to have her bubble popped. She is not going to be happy with you. You are not her knight in shining armor. And this morning I was talking to Dave Carell because we have had some of our grandchildren with us. And you know something? Sanctification never stops. You know, there are particular sins of grandparents that are much worse than the sins of parents. And so as you get older, sanctification makes you more and more desperate for God's mercy. Because as you get older, you see it more, your sin. And so whatever the image and likeness of God is, we have no clue what it is today because we live post-fall. We live post-sin. We live in depravity. It doesn't mean that there's no image and likeness of God left in us. What it means is that whatever it is, we can't know it to any degree that Adam and Eve knew it. You remember how that God was walking in the cool of the evening in the garden? And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are reduced to hiding because they found out they're naked. And that's a wonderful illustration of the degree to which the image and likeness of God has been ruined in us. It's still there. 
Now, keep that in mind, and let's come back to man being the apex, the top of all God's creation. When Martin Luther is talking about the degree to which the image of God and likeness of God has been removed from us, it's an interesting thing he says here. He says, um, actually not that one. He says, I am fully convinced that before Adam's sin, his eyes were so sharp and clear that they surpassed those of the lynx and the eagle. Isn't that sweet? Then he says, he was stronger than the lions and the bears whose strength is very great, and he handled them the way we handle puppies. You know, we spiritualize scripture, and one of the things that the great students of scripture do in history is they're very specific, very, very specific. And so Luther says, you want to have an idea how much we've lost the image and likeness of God? Think of what we would have been like if we had had the eyes of a lynx or of an eagle. Think of what we, we would have been if we had been stronger than lions and bears and if we had been able to take care of them and be around them the way that we're around and take care of puppies, okay? And so the Bible tells us that we are the image bearers of God. That we are made in his image and likeness. And that as such, we are different from all other parts of creation. Now, this is a very important thing for us to get our minds around. Man has unbelievable dignity. Man has unbelievable glory. Man has pride of position that is beyond our ability to understand. Listen to Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you have thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, do you all realize that I have just said something that's extremely offensive? Everybody with me? This is offensive. Why is it offensive? It's offensive because modern man is doing everything it can of defying and denying every single statement of Scripture. If Jesus shows himself holy and the cleanser of the temple with a whip, everybody goes around prattling about how Jesus is love, Jesus is love, Jesus is love. If the Bible says that God made us and that we didn't make ourselves, everybody runs around talking about how we evolved. 
If God says that he made male and female, everybody's running around saying that you just really can't separate them into just two groups. That's stupid. You know, that there's four. Or eight. Or or 800 million, billion, trillion, Google. Googleplex. So many genders, you can't keep track of them. Every shade of every shirt signs your gender. And so if God says that man alone is made in his image and likeness, everybody runs around saying that man is subordinate to the rest of creation. And that is the only way to explain and understand the world you live in. And if you stop to think the number of ways that our governors, our senators, our presidents, our mayor, our teachers, our professors, and sadly, many of our pastors tip their hat to the new revolution by making nice about animals in an effort to deny what Scripture says, that a man alone is made in the image and likeness of God and that God has placed all things under us. And again, I could go on and on and on and on showing you what rebels we are against this truth. We never stop rebelling against it. We were out up in Indy Thursday and we're having lunch and for the umpteenth time, somebody serving me talks about how this, this particular time, they used to be a vegetarian. But when I was in Boulder, it was like every restaurant you went, every single person that ever served you at any restaurant in Boulder would tell you somehow in the first 30 seconds that they were a vegan or that they were a vegetarian. It's like, you know, it's just... And I think that vegetarians work at restaurants because that's the best place to parade the righteousness. You know, you have so many opportunities to tell people how, how righteous you are when you work in a restaurant. Slime ball ordering meat. I'm a vegetarian. You know? You wonder that waiters and waitresses don't have Sabbath goyim that they hire to bring the plate of meat that you just ordered. Now, I use vegetarianism and veganism because it's kind of an obvious one. But what about Tim Wagner, Elder Tim Wagner, as he was leaving, was telling me, did you know that you can't adopt an animal at the Bloomington SPC, PK, whatever it is, the shelter? Did you know you can't adopt an animal? Did you know that? If you go to Owen County, I guarantee you you can adopt an animal. But here in Bloomington, we're more sophisticated than that. Do you know what you do if you go to the Bloomington shelter, animal shelter? You become, come on, a guardian 
of the animal. Why a guardian? I have to admit, I was so stupid. I said to Tim, would you explain that to me? I just didn't get it. And he said, well, the animal has dignity of itself. You can't adopt an animal. What gives you the right to adopt an animal? You may serve as its guardian. And Esther says that's stupid, and it is, isn't it? But to say it's stupid really is wrong. Don't worry, Esther. You you did well. You did well. That's how I think. That's stupid. But really, it's evil because it's rebellion against the order of creation. You know, as Christians, we should look for opportunities to confess the truth. But instead, what do we do? Well, we're all, what are we doing? Well, we're all, we, we're not going to become vegans or vegetarians, you know. We're not going to do that, you know. But, but heck, we're not going to wear fur, you know. And, oh, boy, you should see our Facebook pages. They're just filled with cute little cats and dogs. And we talk about our cats and dogs as if they're children. And it's utterly repulsive. Why? Well, because it's contrary to the order of creation, to God placing his image and likeness in man. And the minute you give the dignity to a cat or a dog of a human being made in the image and likeness of God, the minute you relate to it as if it's a person, as if it has with you the characteristics of God, What are you doing? Well, you're making yourself nice to a wicked and perverse generation. Now, does this mean that you should go around trying to find every opportunity you can to denigrate animals and to hit, you know, in Boulder, every single bumper had a sticker on it that said, I break for small animals. And so the one I loved was, I speed up to hit small animals. (laughs) They actually had them in Boulder, you know. Now, of course, that person wasn't saying they speed up to hit animals. There's not a person here that hasn't come close to having an accident trying to avoid hitting an animal. But if you have to choose between hitting an animal and hitting my granddaughter, right, every person, even the people that work at the animal shelter, will hit the animal instead of my granddaughter, right? Unless the granddaughter is in the womb of their daughter and is an obstacle to that daughter finishing her college education. Or that little one has Down syndrome or spina bifida in the womb. Listen, people. You cannot serve and fear both God and man. You cannot fear man and fear God. You cannot be biblical and be acceptable in an evil and perverse generation. At the end of the Sermon of the Day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the people saw the holiness of God from the preaching of God's word, and they, they cried out, what should we do? And what did Peter say? You remember he said, Save yourselves from this perverse 
this wicked, this evil generation. Listen. All the talk of global warming. Do you know, if you go to the rainforest in the Pacific Northwest where my wife and I were a couple weeks ago, they have signs all over the place, no smoking allowed. And I don't know, some dude making a sign channeling the tree? Trees don't like smoke? I thought trees liked smoke. I thought they liked carbon dioxide. Right? I thought that was part of sort of that, what, what do they call it? The, uh, the, come on, help me. The what? No, no, the... <laughs> What's it called when they do that stuff? That it, the, 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 uh, photosynthesis. Who was that? Was that an Asian? Yeah, it was an Asian. <laughs> Asians still understand these things. We Americans only understand how to keep people thinking we're nice. Brothers and sisters, God made us the crown of creation. And God put everything under us. And it is a nasty, nasty man who says that means that Christians destroy God's creation. It's completely a lie. I have never known anybody that knows as much about nature and loves it as much as Al Parker. And Al Parker is rock bottom, deep down, biblical Christian. And Al Parker's the one that reestablished the bald eagle in the Midwest. Al Parker's the one that put the peregrine falcons on top of the skyscrapers up in Indy and up in Chicago. Al Parker's the one that used to look out from the helicopters to see how many eggs there were in bald eagle nests and climb trees. Al Parker's the one that we bring every summer here, and he takes the kids out. One of the things he always does with them is what? He calls the owls, and he always gets them to come. Al Parker is a Christian. Who's the one that is whooped up on all the corporations that were completely polluting the waters of all the marshes and everything up off Lake Michigan in the Gary, Indiana area? Dan Sparks. Dan Sparks, for years, his whole life, has worked for the federal government, taking corporations to court, prosecuting them for polluting God's good creation. God has put these things under us for our stewardship, for our care. And so when people say that Christians like to see the Schuylkill River in Philly on fire. They're idiots. It wasn't Christians that covered rivers with oil. It was sin. When people say that when Christians believe in having children, that that means that Christians believe in starvation, it's a lie. Christians don't believe in starvation. What causes starvation? It's not people having children. Have you ever, ever, ever flown in a plane? Have you ever flown in a plane? 
What do you see when you fly in a plane? Nothing. Nothing. Have you flown across the United States, any of you? What do you see? Nothing. In other words, the world is empty. And you say, well, not in Singapore it isn't. And I go, duh. But how about the Sahara Desert? How about Cash's Ledge off the east coast of the United States? It was really interesting. When Mary Lee and I were up in the Pacific Northwest, we took this ferry over to Vancouver Island. So you get on this ferry up at Horseshoe Bay, and after a few minutes, you're on the deck, because who, who, I mean, you want to be on the deck, right? You're on the deck, and you're looking back southwest. And you were just at that park at the end of the city riding a bicycle, you know, and it was just man everywhere. And if you didn't watch out, man would run you over everywhere, right? And you get on the ferry, and just a few minutes at a ferry pace, which isn't an airplane pace, in just a few minutes, you look back to the southwest, and what do you see? It's a tiny, tiny little spot on the shore. And what's the tiny little spot? It's not a tree frog. It's Vancouver. The city of Vancouver. It's tiny. And every single thing that God commands us, what do we do? We say, hell no. We won't go. That's what we do. That's the nature of man. We have made ourselves, don't you know? It is not he that hath made us, but we have made ourselves, right? And we're just one of many animal groups and we can't, we can't adopt animals. We're their guardians. And if you step on a bald eagle egg, you will go to federal prison. But you scrape out an unborn child with a knife from a mother's womb. And you are the new woman. Right? We put up pictures on our Facebook pages talking about our dogs and our cats as if they're our children. And we don't eat meat. And if we eat meat, it's white meat. It's not red meat with blood. And we don't believe in war. And we don't hit children. And I could go on and on and on and show you how everything God commands, everything he says is good, we say it's bad, and we refuse to do it. And if you want to understand the world today, just remember that the Bible says that these are days when... We call evil good and good evil. Black, white, white, black. Wrong, right, right, wrong. And then you'll begin to understand the world we live in. But listen, the truth is that Scripture is God's word. And so Scripture is true, and all men are liars. And when the Bible says that man bears alone the image and likeness of God. That means that we have been given meat by God to eat. That means 
And I will end with this one. After the flood, God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God he created them. Do you understand what that means? That means that God, from the beginning, has commanded that murderers shall themselves be executed. Why? Because man has unbelievable dignity. Because the image of God rests. And so what happens is, is we give in to the degradation of sexual perversion, the degradation of greed, the degradation of lust and of pride and of arrogance, the degradation of being in bondage to whether people think we like them and they like us, all the degradations of our life where we live completely in bondage to whether people think we're nice, what happens is we become progressively uglier and uglier and uglier and uglier And the image of God becomes more and more trampled in us so that we are no longer recognizable as the crown of creation. God gives us over until our bodies are consumed by our lust. You can't have peace with wickedness. Either man alone bears the image of God, and therefore man eats animal. And you say, well, do you have to put it like that? And I say, well, here's how Jesus put it. Which man of you, if his sheep is in danger, isn't going to go out and rescue his sheep? And yet you're worth much more than a sheep. Jesus says, look at the ravens. And yet, man is worth much more than the raven. Look at how God provides for the ravens. And yet, you're much more worthwhile than ravens. Why? Because you have the image and likeness of God in yourself. Years ago, when I realized that Mary Lee and I had to repent of feminism, you know, we were very strong feminists, both Mary Lee and I. And when I realized that I had to repent of it and stop copying a posture as being a real sensitive man who deferred to women and begin to be a man, (laughs) okay, all of a sudden I realized, you know, this is not going to be fun because this revolution is only catching speed. The snowball is getting bigger, and I'm going to go down to the grave being very lonely. You know, this was back in 76. And then I realized something else. I realized that I was also going to spend my life arguing for the perquisites of the sex that I myself had. Do you understand that? I was going to spend my life arguing that men are the head of the marriage. And I knew I was going to spend my life having everybody say, well, <laughs> you know, look at you, you know, you know, you're arguing that you should, you should be the boss. So I guess that shows you what kind of man you are. And I realized there's no way to defend myself against the charge. I am a man, therefore I am the head of the home. And I have to teach that and preach that and endlessly harangue about it because everybody in our culture hates it. 
So you understand the dilemma I'm in, right? Everybody understands the dilemma I'm in. I'm going to die getting, getting more and more marginalized with everybody young having the conceit that if I was young, I'd see things right. And then I'm going to be arguing for myself, my perquisites as a man. Now, this is precisely your position with respect to the image of God. Men and women together, completely equally share the image of God. And there is absolutely no way for you to teach and live the image of God in yourself without you being perceived to be a very egotistical person and not being sensitive at all to creatures, to critters. And they'll smear you. They'll say that you like seeing the school kill river on fire. Listen, people. You cannot, you cannot honor God and try to be acceptable to the perverse generation you live in. Okay? Live by faith. And the glorious thing is that once you realize that man alone bears the image of God, then there is a purpose for somebody like me. And you can't despise me anymore. Yes, I am old. Yes, I do believe in patriarchy. Yes, I am fat. And I am white. And I don't have a doctorate. And our church is ugly. And if we, were, if we did church well, we'd have 5,000 here instead of 500 in my dreams. <laughs> Better yet, all of a sudden, Mauritania is despicable for its slavery. Huh? All of a sudden, Planned Parenthood is despicable for its slaughter of unborn children. All of a sudden, doctors who kill people in nursing homes are despicable. Do you see? All of a sudden, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Children are as valuable as adults, women as men, blacks as whites, whites as Asians. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing, I have to explain this to you, is in America we realize that Asians are going to take over our country because of how hard you work and how bright you are. Now, am I making myself clear? And it's coming from the West Coast to the East Coast. Already in California, there is a negative, what's it called? The Cal State system, University of California, negative uh, affirmative action. Already in California, if you're Asian, you have less chance of getting in than whites because whites need affirmative action. <laughs> Do you know this? This is true. So don't think I'm insulting you, I'm complimenting you. Red and yellow, black and white, 
Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere. The people that live in the double wides and the people that live in the, Mike, how do you say this? Come on, say it. The, the large, the large custom home. That's how Mike speaks of my house. You know, he's our builder and he likes to affirm me. All of a sudden, in Christ, every single human being is made in the image of God, and every single human being is equal. Everyone. And so really, if you're willing to live according to Scripture, you're not left looking stupid. You're left with everybody knowing that you're the one that invented egalitarianism. You invented equality. You invented pluralism. You invented diversity. You invented, and I'm not going to say tolerance because tolerance is such a pathetic goal to aim at. When my wife tolerates me, I'm in full-scale depression. (laughs) You invented love. Why? Because God is love. And so those that know God love one another. Okay? Let us make man, man and woman, in our image according to our likeness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to be done with desiring the baubles and the kitchen and the utter perversion of this world. Father, make us holy. Father, fill our minds and hearts with your word so that we may live in such a way as to please you rather than pleasing ourselves or pleasing those who deny the truth of your word. Father, in this church, we pray that we will honor the poor, the rich, the feeble, the strong, male, female, all races, that in this church there will be a a wonderful uh, melange, a wonderful mixture that the world can never reproduce. May it ooze love and affection, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.